Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Today we're going to be talking about what a contemplative is. Um, I'm currently walking through some woods right across the street from my house. There's about 18 acres or so here, so it's a place that I come to kind of get quiet. For some reason in nature, I've always found that to be a place where just kind of helps quiet my mind and my heart. Just kind of helps me relax. I would say it's a very meditative place for me. It's a Zen, it's one of my Zen places. So um, today I wanted to talk about, you know, where this thing called contemplation came from, kind of the history of how it developed throughout Christianity and, and what that means for us today. So for me right now, you know, it's just really, it's a, it's a way for me to kind of be alive in the moment. Um, it's a way for me to connect with myself, to connect with the world around me in a different way. Um, the contemplative mind is just a different way of seeing the world, of experiencing the world, of viewing the world, and interacting with the world. It really, uh, some have called it an subject-to-subject or an I-thou relationship. Um, a lot of times in contemporary society, we don't really realize the process of how we've come to think how we do and, and how we view the world, but we don't even realize that we're viewing the world through a lens, through a set of filters. You know, we just kind of think, hey, this is... You know, we really think we see the world the way it is. We see reality the way reality really is, but that's not true. We actually see the world through a set of beliefs, a set of ideas. We have a way that we think the world works, which really um, affects how we see the world and how we interact with the world. And so contemplation is just a different way of seeing the world, of being in the world. And it's different from probably what Western individualism, you know, would call a more individualistic approach towards reality, which is me-centered. You know, contemplation seeks to take us out of that me-centered perspective to a us-centered or other-centered perspective, where it's not just me, my life my world, my goals, my dreams, my um, agenda, and I'm moving through the world accomplishing what I want. I'm not the center. Contemplation is I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of a cosmos, a universe. I'm part of a living, you know, whole living world. And I'm, everything I do is not about me. It's about us. It's about everything and everyone together. It's what uh, Rohr calls, Richard Rohr calls, unitive consciousness, which is actually, he's a Franciscan uh, teacher, spiritual teacher, contemplative, but he, uh, he gets that from, from the St. Francis, or the Franciscan um, alternative orthodoxy, this idea of unitive consciousness. That's, that's what, that's what uh, contemplation seeks to cultivate, is basically... We're all part of the same one thing, and we find our oneness, our connectedness with all things through God. So, um, 
the Franciscans were a 12th century order of, of monasticism that developed from the, the founding father, St. Francis. Many people have heard of St. Francis. They think of him as just a kind of a naturalist, kind of loving person who gave dignity to all things. You know, you see a lot of statues or pictures of him with birds on his shoulders, but that was a monastic order. That monastic order came out of contemplation, which began, as I already said, in the third century. So you might hear as I'm walking sounds of water. I don't know, there's something about sights and sounds of nature that just really, I don't know, breathe into me this, this kind of contemplative mind and connection. So, as I was saying, the Desert Fathers in the third century, you know, they were the beginnings of this, this Christian monasticism, this Christian contemplation movement. Um, but contemplation in a broader sense, uh, even bigger than Christianity, is really akin to meditation. So meditation is something that's been practiced by spiritual you know, people, by religions and practitioners in, within religion for since the beginning of religion, you know, Buddhists, Hindus, they all practice meditation. Even Jews, you know, within Judaism, which is another ancient religion, they practice meditation. So the Christian version of that was contemplation. It was practices, meditation being one of those things, which really sought to achieve an inner stillness, an inner quiet, for the purpose of getting in tune with ourselves and with God. But this is where we kind of struggle because in our Western mind, our rational mind, our intellectual mind, we think of God as an orthodoxy, as a set of beliefs. And the orthodoxy literally means right thinking. So we think of God as a, as, as a system of thinking, system of truth. And so contemplation wasn't that. It's not a way of thinking the right truths. It's a way of being in the world. It's a way of living. It's not having the right truth. So God is not just like a concept in our, in our brains. It's not just a construct of our thoughts. God is a person. He's a being. And contemplation, meditation, and all religions sought to connect with that being. And they saw God as allness. I call it the formless allness. Basically, God is the energy of life in the universe. God is all things in all things. I'm sorry, God is not all things. God is in all things. It's not pantheism. Pantheism is like everything is God. It's panentheism, which is God in all things. But there is also a separateness. I'm not God, but God is in me. The life of God breathes life into me. So that's contemplation, trying to understand the reality of God in all things. And that because God is in all things, all things reflect God and all things are unified in that same, you know, that same energy force. So contemplation it seeks to kind of get us in tune with the world in that way, of seeing the world as, you know, unified in God in that way. Um, Western religion has not done a great job of passing on that way of seeing the world which began for, for the Christian, and the Christian expression it began in the third century. So I'll try and delve in a little bit to the historical kind of formation of contemplation. 
in, within Christianity. I've talked about a little bit already the third century Desert Fathers. Um, these were guys who, like I said, they were, you know, seeing the the institutionalization of the church uh, through, you know, Rome, the Roman Empire, co-opting it and, and making it an official religion or, or adopting it as their official religion. Um, so these guys basically they saw this going on and they felt like you know man this is going to really change Christianity this is going to take it in a different way it's going to really form it in a different way it's going to kind of really form it away from what Christ intended it to be now this may surprise many people but and this is what contemplation teaches Jesus didn't come to start a religion Jesus didn't come to start Christianity as something different from Judaism, from Buddhism. He came to help people get back to knowing God. And that's what he talked about. He came, you know, he, he came within Judaism, which was supposed to be a religion that helped people connect with God. You know, they had the, a, a certain format. It was the temple and sacrifices, and uh, they had prophets, and they had revelation. But basically, it was an attempt to connect with God. And we, you could say it was an attempt by God to connect with us, but Jesus basically said, it didn't work that well, and you guys, even when it did work, you guys really didn't get it, you know? You, you kind of messed it up. You thought it was something else. You thought it was about um, your power and prestige and control, and, you know, you turned it into a, a religion of control, an institution, instead of seeing it as a way to help people connect with God. That's exactly what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. He said, not only are, he said this, it was pretty scandalous the way, I'm not sure if you've, if you've read the Bible or, or I've understood a lot of what Jesus said in these terms, but basically it was, he told the religious leaders, he's like, not only are you not entering into heaven, but you're keeping other people. He actually said, you're shutting the door of heaven in their faces. It was, you know, you can see why they crucified him. He was calling them out. He was saying, look, you've, you've blocked, you're not, you, you don't know God. Even worse, you're keeping other people from knowing God because you're claiming to be the representatives of God as these, you know, Jewish leaders, Jewish teachers, Pharisees, scribes, you know, they were saying, hey, we are the gate, gate, gatekeepers of God, of heaven. And Jesus said, you're, you're bad gatekeepers and you've locked the gate and you've locked yourself out too. <laughs> And he came to try and set all that right, to say, hey, you know what? It's not, you don't need this system, this, these sacrifices. You don't need any of this to know God. You just need to know that God is here for you. He's all around you. Uh, he came to announce the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here for all of us. Uh, he, taught, he called it a kingdom, but that's just, you know, the way of talking about. He said the kingdom of the heavens in the Jewish mind that the heavens would have, they, they viewed three, there were three heavens. There was the atmosphere around you on the earth. There was the sky and there was the third heaven they considered the place where God lived. But Jesus came and said, I'm declaring to you that God is the God of all three. He's in all three. He's here with us right now. He's not just up somewhere far away. He's not just in the outer atmosphere, the sky. He's not, but he's also here right around us. He's everywhere. So, just like the air we breathe. So that's what Jesus came to teach. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to help us come back to knowing God. Now, 
what became Christianity was what the Roman Empire formed it into, an institution with rites and rituals and, and places of worship. You know, they kind of modeled it after Judaism, a temple, a church, practices, priests. Jesus actually came and he actually said, I came to do away with, he said, I came to fulfill the law, but to fulfill it in order to render it unnecessary. You don't need the temple anymore. You're all, he actually said, you're all priests. Anybody can come before God. You don't need an arbitrator, and um, a mediator. So the Desert Fathers basically saw the church becoming what Jesus tried to pull it back out of. Um, they went to the desert. It was uh, Egyptian desert. And they did that just to try and get away from basically leave what they saw was the corruption of the church in order to just know God. You know, they felt like they had to kind of get away from all that corruption and just go be alone, just to pursue God. They felt like the secular culture and the church that was being secularized by that culture was, was a corruption, and they couldn't seek God in that place, in that system. So they went to the desert. Um, what they found was... They were able to connect with God, and out of that formed Christian monasticism. Basically, it was a little more formalized, institutionalized uh, practices that the, his original contemplative desert fathers discovered um, so that others could kind of come into a, an environment, a place that would teach them how to know God as well. So you had through the centuries then the development of different monastic orders within Christianity. You had the Franciscans, that was the 13th century. The, one of the earliest was the 6th century, the Benedictines. Benedict was a monk, uh, contemplative, and he, he, he was one of the first ones to develop a, what they call a rule, which was just a, an order to, to an abbey, you know, to a monastery, of, a, an order of the days. If you go to a monastery today, which I have been to a monastery, they have very structured daily routines. They're called the hours. There's certain set times where they pray, where they come together to sing, read scripture, read the psalms. They actually sing through the psalms every, like every 24 days. It's kind of cool. But basically, it's a very rigorous, um, uh, structured, just a program to each day. But this all developed in the monasteries as a way to try and help people get away from the worldly kind of sensual desires that were they monks felt were blocking us from knowing God and you know just to be able to know God so um, the Cistercians was another order the Trappists formed I think in the 17th century out of the Cistercians Trappists are what uh, were the was the order that Thomas Merton was a part of at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky um, I had mentioned Thomas Merton in the first post he was the Trappist monk that wrote New Seeds of Contemplation, and he's, he's actually considered the father of modern contemplation because uh, through the centuries, the, the, really, the essence of contemplation was kind of lost as monasticism became formalized and kind of became more institutionalized itself. And so contemplation, which was really meant to connect people to God, became also just another kind of ritual, another system of kind of holiness but didn't necessarily always connect people to God so um, Thomas Merton um, kind of rediscovered contemplation and of course he wrote about his journey towards that in the seven story mountain 
And he's written, you know, gosh, probably over 30 books about contemplative practice and the contemplative life. But um, he <laughs> lost my train of thought. He revived these practices, or the intent of these practices, in the modern era, in the early 20th century. Um, he he's passed away since, and later 20th century, uh, the most notable figure in continuing that tradition and the practices and teachings of contemplation has been Richard Rohr. Uh, he's still alive today. He's in his 80s. He uh, teaches at the Living School in, I believe it's Arizona. Um, it's called the Center for Action and Contemplation. He just he continues to teach what it means to be a contemplative. He writes books. Um, so that has been kind of, there's been a resurgence of contemplation. And as I talked about in the first podcast, that's how I knew that I was a, a contemplative. It's not how I became a contemplative, but how I became a contemplative I've talked a little bit about. But, um, you know, Basically, I followed a similar journey as the Desert Fathers in the third century and the continuing monastic orders, which was, you know, try, it was realizing that the church system, the Christian tradition that I was a part of, really was not helping me know God. And I realized somehow, I realized that that was the point. I mean, like I said, I was an avid reader of the Bible, even at a young age. And my, when I was in the 10th grade, I went to a youth retreat and group came and talked to us about reading the Bible, uh, and they kind of challenged us to make a commitment to read the Bible. And I did that. I committed to read my Bible every day. And that process, really, <laughs> that's what changed my life. I started reading the Bible, reading about the life of Jesus, and realizing that there were discrepancies between what Jesus taught and how he taught about knowing God and the church that I grew up in. And the tradition and the theology and the teachings and the practice, you know. So I had that epiphany all on my own, just like the Desert Fathers, that I didn't think church was doing doing what Jesus intended it to do, teaching people how to know God. So I feel like I've been a little bit all over the place, um, but you get an idea of what contemplation is. At least I hope you've gotten an idea what contemplation is, how it started, how it continued to the centuries through monastic orders, and then, you know, what, what it, um, you know, how it's gotten here to us today um, through Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr. So, um, I'll continue in the next podcast, which is going to be part two of what is a contemplative to talk about why that really matters to us today, like. What's the point? Why should we be contemplatives? Why should we, we be interested in contemplative practice? What does it have for us today? Like, is it, is it uh, worth anything at all? You know? So we'll discuss that in the next podcast. I appreciate you listening and uh, tune in next time. Thanks. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast with J. Randall Ori. Thanks.